You're listening to 1881, powered by the American Hereford Association and part of the Hereford Network. Here's your host, Shane Bedwell. Welcome back to 1881, the American Hereford Association podcast. This is your host, Shane Bedwell, and it's an exciting episode we're gearing up for here, and uh, I'll introduce our guests here in a little bit, but uh, thank you sincerely to all of our listeners out there. Appreciate the emails, the text, uh, the write-ins, the calls uh, about uh, our podcast. It's really uh, starting, I think, to to hit a really big network of folks that are enjoying this. Uh, we appreciate the guests that we've had on uh, in our prior episodes, and we really look forward to continuing this uh, throughout the the rest of the fall and uh, into to in the winter months, uh, we get into to bull sell season. It's right around the corner, and so uh, we're excited uh, about uh, what's happening in the breed. And uh, we have a special guest with us today that's uh, involved in, in about every segment of the business, and uh, he's currently the uh, vice president of the American Hereford Association. Mr. Bill Gehring, welcome. Good morning, Shane. Yep, good to be here in Kansas City. Yes, sir. Appreciate you being on. And uh, Bill uh, is a longtime uh, Hereford breeder, um, nearing that uh, golden breeder mark, I believe. And uh, hails from the the good state of Iowa, uh, Libertyville area, and operates a, a cell barn uh, there in Kiyosakwa. And so uh, we're certainly... Uh, Proud to have him a part of our board, and uh, he's done a really good job being on the board and has served in several different capacities that uh, we'll share here in a little bit. But Bill, why don't you uh, why don't you share a little bit about your uh, background for the folks that maybe don't know you as well? Yep. All right. Well, I I've come from a pretty small farm in southeast Iowa. My folks, uh, my my grandfather, my great grandfather. I still live on uh, property that's within a mile of where my great grandparents settled hmm. uh, way back in, uh, in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah. I'm there's a marker down there, a rock on the corner of a piece of property I own that has my grandparents' name on it and the date when they Is when they right? settled there. So there's been uh, a lot of family that that grew up and and spread out across the country those there were nine brothers and sisters in my grandparents family and so they all had children and and my my dad and my grandfather you know worked together and farmed together there in that community and then uh, over time you know everybody's moved away or or passed away, and and I'm the only gearing that is left in that in that area where we originated from. But uh, it's a you know it's a rolling country with some very good farmland up there. You know where our home place is and where where we grew up, and we uh, you know I went to high school there at a local local community high school. Went on to college at Iowa State and. We were involved, uh, you know, in the, in, in, uh, my dad was an auctioneer and we actually fiddled around with some dairy, milked some cows. And we, we, my dad liked, liked livestock sales and liked marketing and auctioneering. And 
So, you know, after we were uh, fooling around with those dairy sales and those, uh, some household and farm sales, the livestock market in Kiyosakwa came up for sale. And I was just getting out of college there in 86. I graduated in the spring of 86. And in August of 86, we had our first sale. And so we we grew up around that sale. You know, we weren't given a very high probability of being successful at that sale. The, the communities, you know, were the other markets in our area were very competitive at that time. There were nine different markets within about 60 miles of ours back in the 80s and so my folks my dad particularly uh, felt that the cow business was a fairly competitive market in the 80s there there was a lot of markets that made it very hard for a new person to be involved in the cow cow marketing business there a new market to get started so dad, dad decided that our target and our focus was going to be in the feeder pig business and that we, we would build a feeder pig market yep. at, at Kiyosakwa. And so that's what we did. We took into the pigs, didn't take as much capital to make a pig sale work. And we were able to uh, meet, meet and generate uh, from, from the beginning of selling 100 or 200 pigs a week to you know, in the late eighties and through the nineties, we would sell two to 3000 pigs a week. Is that right? Wow. It, it, it bloomed up into quite an opportunity for us. And, you know, that, that pig sale was my passion. I took that thing by the horns and, you know, I helped develop the buyers, helped develop all the, the sellers. And, and to this day have very strong relationships with both of those guys both sides of that enterprise, both the buyers and the sellers. And some of those guys have been, you know, lifelong friends. But as the pig business changed, as the hog business changed, the hog industry integrated and, and changed, you know, the market changed. And, and we went from selling two or three or two to three thousand pigs a week back down to five hundred. And it become easier for me to market those smaller groups of pigs back at to back up just a minute, we we did market those pigs, those big sale times, on a whole separate day from Saturday. Our regular sale is on Saturday, but we started because of pseudorabies back in the early 90s. The government forced us to have a separate day for feeder pigs anyway. So we went to a Tuesday feeder pig sale, and it actually helped us grow the pig sale at that time. But then yep. as that evolved and changed and the pig business changed, you know, then we went back to selling the, all of those hogs back on Saturday. But the pig sale done a lot for us in, in generating trust with our buyers, trust with our sellers. I still have individuals I do business with uh, in the cattle side, in the cattle feeding side that buy feeder cattle from me that I generated as a contact when they were buying feeder pigs. Yeah, Some of those people I've never set. I don't know them mm -hmm. across the table. I've never met them. It's all just word of mouth over the phone. But, you know, we developed a trust that, you know, when you buy pigs here, this is what they're going to be. And the same thing carried through into the cattle. If you tell me you want a load of heifers weigh 750 in this kind, you're going to get that quality of cattle. And yep. so the market has been good. You know, I met my wife there at the market. Uh, she was working in the cafe back then. And you know, we were married in the first year, and within uh, five years, we had four sons. Is that right? Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the sale day cafe. Sale day cafe. Yeah. Yeah. So still I mean, romance around there. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that would have been a heck of a time really. Cause I mean, that would have been in the high interest, uh, kind of farm crisis, high interest rates. I mean, I mean, you were clawing and pulling anything you could to get through that time. And everybody was, That's I mean, exactly it, right. it, uh, you know, and a lot of folks did have pigs, uh, at that time, a lot more so than now. Yep. And, yep. uh, you, you fit a big need. Yep. It, it was a good opportunity for us. Yep. It definitely was. So, um, as we kind of get into, so you're still operating the sale barn today, uh, sale every Saturday, um, there in Kiyosakwa. And so you're involved with that, uh, families, you know, um, you know, a, a big part of the operation today and, and involved. And so let's talk a little bit about, uh, your Hereford background, Bill, because I know you were very involved, uh, growing up in the Iowa Hereford Association and, uh, even the National Association. So let's get into a little bit of that. Sure. So, yeah, I, I, when I started in, in the Herefords back in the late seventies, as a 4-H project originally and, and gravitated into the Iowa Junior Association, became a member, and my folks were uh, uh, advisors to the junior Iowa Juniors for several years, and I ended up on the National Junior Board for two, two years there and uh, served a term there when actually the Junior National was in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, when I was on the junior board there and so we got involved in the fundraising of that and you know following that that junior uh, time you know moved over to the iowa hereford board and served a couple different times there and then uh you know was fortunate to get elected to the national board here a couple years ago and right yep moving along so uh let's talk about your cow herd you know that's uh grown over time and you've you found a way to i think what's the perspective that you bring is that uh you know you have a, a purebred hereford herd a good sized herd you market bulls um you're very involved in the commercial cow business and then you own a cell barn and so pretty much every segment of the industry outside of the packer uh you have and I, I'd say, I mean, the context that you you have um, through the sale business has has allowed you to not be vertically integrated, but you touch every segment. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 provided a lot of opportunity for me. Honestly, I mean, I I definitely have an advantage in marketing bulls and marketing Hereford cattle. And uh, and I have an advantage over a, a commercial producer or a purebred producer that would try and market uh, Hereford feeder cattle, because the contrary to uh, public belief, you know Hereford feeder cattle uh, don't have the uh, associated discounts if you in. in leverage those buyers to take them at market value and what i mean by that is you know running the market running the sale i just don't let the buyers control the market i don't let them control what is sorted i don't let them control the value i i 
I don't want to say I handle, you know, but I do leverage that market in favor of Hereford cattle. Right. And I, I may be the only guy in the country that does that. You know, other markets I understand would let, let value fall wherever the market lets it go. I'm going to control the market just a little more than that in favor of Hereford. Okay. I, and, well, and, and it's due to, uh, the things that are important, right? Right. You know, and so, um, this, it's not that I'm just a dirty SOB. It's the fact that there is value in these cattle. Exactly. And it's not hide color. Right. Know? I mean, we've, no. we've, we've advanced Past so far that. in our yeah. industry yes. where you have an intimate relationship with your customers, uh, where you're selling those genetics, you know, the genetics behind them, you know, the other guys that in your area that aren't using your genetics necessarily, but you know, their programs, you know, the health, you know, how those cattle are handled. And so I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty simple, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we get, I'm not going to kid you. There are cattle, Hereford sired cattle or straight Hereford cattle that honestly aren't very good, you know, that need discounted, but it wouldn't matter what color they were. Yeah. If those cattle come in with that condition, that, that, that challenge, either health or quality, they're going to be discounted. I don't care what color they are, mm -hmm. but, but definitely if the, if they have value, they need to be at market value. Yep. Amen to that. That's, um, and I, there's other barns across the country. I know that, uh, you know, do a pretty good job of, of marketing, uh, based off of kind, uh, rather than a color. And, uh, there's a difference. Um, and I, and I appreciate you doing that. I mean, you, Bill, you would move how many bulls in a year through your, uh, purebred operation? sell private treaty uh we move about 70 yearlings 20 falls and a few two-year-olds i i rent rent a few bulls out in the summer to producers and uh you know typically yearlings so they they would be included in that 70 i guess but i get them back in and sell them as two-year-old bulls and it's it's just I, it's a better way for me to handle them through the summer i don't have to feed the dumb things and I get them kicked out and they breed cows and, you know, I'm typically a 90 day program. So my bulls don't usually come back real thin, real out of condition. And, you know, they get back in shape. And this year, particularly, I didn't even, I couldn't even make it through fall. I ran out of big bulls before fall this time. And it mm -hmm. just, you know, I usually have about 20 or 25 of those yearlings. I have go out on, on some kind of rental and, you know, you, that's why I like to have a few two-year-old bulls back in the spring, and it's just become a challenge to have any left after fall right now. So, so demand uh, you've obviously seen has increased, and uh, what do you contribute that to, Bill? Uh, you know, number one, I believe just Hereford cattle are better, but but the commercial producers across our area, and I think you're seeing it countrywide are looking for a little more um, punch as it be, but more heterosis. They're looking for uh, an animal that's going to gain faster. They're looking for, they don't want to give up a lot of birth weight, but they don't mind adding a little birth weight if there is. They just think some of these cattle have gotten a little small at birth. So they want those calves just to have that vigor and that strength and that get up and go. They want they want 
uh, more pounds at weaning time or sale time. You know, they are still ingrained in buying higher quality cattle as far as cutability and marbling. But I think I think the biggest driver in my area is these folks that are hunting Hereford bulls to make F1 females. They're 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 trying to turn that cow herd into an F1 group of females that will have you know, a little more fertility, a little more longevity, a little more uh, profitability per se. They're going to wean a bigger calf, have more of them bred, but they're they're hearing more. You know, it, it just takes one neighbor. You know, he comes comes to the coffee shop, and boy, my black baldy calves weigh a little more. My black baldy heifers were bred a little better. I think I'm going to use another Hereford bull. And yep. the neighbors hear that. Nobody wants to get passed in the beef business. We're still a very competitive bunch. Sure. So if that guy's making more money, I want a piece of it. You yep. know, and so that's that's what's driving the market, Shane. Yep. That's good to see the F one uh female deal. I mean, there's uh, obviously need for a good crossbred female in the in the beef industry and um you know, the the attributes you gain and the longevity fertility as you mentioned uh, the maternal heterosis uh we're not reinventing the wheel no um it's uh it's been well established for decades and uh it, it's good to see that uh coming back in the country and i think that's a that's a highlight of your involvement through every segment that um you can kind of reward those kind of genetics as they come through uh, your auction. And I know you sell several bread heifer lots throughout the year. Um, you know, in your area, you have a really good bread heifer, uh, market and bread cow market, uh, as well. And so folks are seeing it firsthand come through your barn. Yep. That's right. Yep. So, um, you know, you, you currently right now on the board, um, you're a breed improvement chair. And uh, you've chaired other committees. Uh, you were chair of the commercial uh, committee there last year, and um, you know we've we've enjoyed you from a staff standpoint being on the board because of the perspective that you bring. So what uh, what can you tell the folks listening? What's going on in breed improvement right now? Uh, it's a it's a pretty exciting time in in Hereford business in breed improvement. I mean. Uh, there, you know, you're going to see more promotion, more understanding of the research projects we have coming forward, you know, and <clears throat> we're, uh, you know, in the middle of partnershiping with, uh, you know, some other, uh, breeds to, uh, address some of the discounts in the, in the colored cattle feeder cattle business, um, I think that's huge. I mean, that's that's an opportunity that uh, you know has probably needed attention before, uh, but uh, because we've built uh, such good quality cattle, both carcass and and structural and and reproductivity, you know, we have an opportunity to capitalize on that with uh, this partnership that's uh, coming up. Um, I, I, I mean, there are other, I mean, we're at, you know, you are actively involved in, um, 
you know, I guess, you know, I don't know if that's all breed improvement, but, you know, actively uh, working towards further Packer partnerships and uh, partnerships with the genetic companies and partnerships with, uh, you know, outside of genetic companies, even we are exploring some options of, uh, you know, that could propel us, you know, uh, astronomically forward. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, so much of that is just just in the in the beginning stages right now but uh over the years you know coming up uh Hereford is set up to be uh very very much in the front of the cattle business and i, I we've 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 been very fortunate to have uh, you know very engaged uh, board members you know during uh during the time here at at Hereford uh you know and the board's uh uh, blessed us with the opportunity to to go out and get it, and uh, I think you've you've spearheaded that uh, leadership here the last few years, and uh, you know really allowed that to continue. And uh, it's pretty exciting, really, uh, the things that we have uh, on the deck uh, that we'll we'll share more about uh, here later on. But uh, it it is an exciting time in this breed. Uh, the breeders are engaged and, uh, hungry. I mean, you just, uh, think back to some of our bull cell averages that we've had here in the last few years. And I mean, the demands there, uh, the product is, uh, there, it's getting better and better. Uh, we can always improve. Um, and so as, as a fellow breeder, Bill, what, what would you say, you know, to the membership of, um, you know, what, what are some things that we can still do to keep our image at a high level and, uh, make it even better? Yeah, we probably need to cut 10% more bulls than we are right now. Keep that bottom end from trickling into the marketplace, even though demand is, is asking for them and drawing them in there. I'd sure like to keep the knife sharp here as we go through the next five to 10 years. Uh, I, you know, in the market and running the sale barn, you know, we run, uh, 200 to 250, 300 market cows a week. I, I think it's so interesting for me to observe all the cull animals over the years that come through the sale and, and the number of feet and legs and structural problems that are in the cattle business. You know, Hereford is has a strong advantage in in feet and and in leg and stru- and structural soundness. So, you know, I think we need to keep the foot on the pedal there. Do not do not sacrifice these foot shape and structure. Um, you know, or go set in your local markets for a few times and watch the cold cows come through there. Cold bulls come through the market to have horrible feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, horrible and not old animals. I'm not talking about animals that are six, seven years old. I mean, three to five year old animals that, that are worthless because they have horrible feet, but more uncomfortably, they've sired animals at the farm yeah. that are genetically challenged in that feet structure. And, and, you know, Hereford is a big advantage on feet structure. And I, I sure hope we can keep the pedal down and, and, and keep that that advantage we have in the commercial cattle business certainly it's a it's a big advantage that we have and we've got to we've got to keep watching it uh keep putting the pedal down as you said i think that's that's well stated 
um, as we move forward with all the progress and the other traits and and the development uh, of more programs uh, to to help the commercial cattlemen because that's that's where we're all about uh, uh, in this business. If we can't make the commercial cattlemen better uh, and, and profitable, um, then uh, we're pretty short sighted. So that's uh, that's good. So, you know, kind of along those lines, you know, this business is changing. Um, it's evolved, uh, you know, a bunch uh, over time. Uh, that's just uh, change is constant um, in the business that we live in. And uh, we're going through some pretty interesting times, I think, uh, with the market itself. Um, obviously, that's uh, that's been at play here for a few years. Um you know we're we're coming up on a cow herd that's uh, going to be at a record uh, um, volume as far as no volume, um, uh, you know a, a shortened cow supply. And uh, what do you what do you think are the challenges that we're going to be faced with? Uh, you know, in the in the chair that you sat in, Bill, from an industry that uh, we need to be ready to to be able to pivot and and take the breed forward with yeah that's a you know that's a great question and you know to to be able to crystal ball and look into the future and know know how to put ourselves in a position is uh you know something that you know our forefathers had to think about and look at and you know now we're in that seat ourselves trying to make sure that you know, the next generations behind us have, have the same opportunity or hopefully more than we have. And, you know, the evolution going on in the cattle business right now is pretty huge. I, I, I really, we are, we are, we've come through a time of low profit for cattle, for feeder cattle, for cow calf producers. We come through a low time of profit and very minimal feed yard profit. So, you know, it, it's made those guys hunker down and become very, very tight operators. You know, the, the cow-calf operator, you know, it, it, because of where our input costs are today and fuel and feed or fertilizer and labor and just, just, you know, DNA costs or whatever you want to say, you know, our input costs have gotten extremely strong. So we can no longer, you know, I can remember when I started in the market years ago, you know, producers would come in, and if if they sold those calves, and they would bring three hundred and fifty, four hundred dollars a head, they were satisfied that you know it don't cost me much over a dollar a day to keep this cow. Everybody kind of had three hundred sixty-five dollars in their in their budget, as that's what it cost to operate this enterprise for a year's time. Well, over the past thirty-five years, that's migrated to a number that's honestly very close, or getting close to a thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think very, very reasonably, if you're not using eight hundred dollars as your target for 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 your feeder calf line, um, you're kidding yourself. You're not taking into consideration all the things that that you do have going into that. So consequently, what's happened here over the past five, seven years in the in the slowdown in in the marketplace of these cattle, you know, so much of cattle 
cow-calf production is done on such a smaller scope, a smaller enterprise of, you know, 20 to 30, 35 cow herd units across the country. And, you you know, you sure see it in our country and to the east more than to the west, of course. But the average cow herd size in our area is just 24 cows. Those people have a, a supplemental income to the farming operation, if you will. They, they Most of them have worked away from home, run cows. Over the past five years, that, that job has had to supplement the cow project. So as budgets have gotten tighter, I, I feel in our area particularly, we've seen more liquidation of those cows that, that they're not going to supplement that cow herd mm-hmm. with an off-farm income. And so that's created opportunity for those those better, more uh, more efficient producers to become more profitable. They can pick up those acres if they didn't get slipped off into crop production. Which they, a lot of that's happening. That's happening this yep. year for dang yep. sure. Yeah. You know, they, they have the opportunity to pick up those acres and, and make that land a little more efficient, a little more profitable than it was with tying it into their own enterprise. So... You know, I don't see labor changing. I think that's a challenge to the beef industry, to the cow-calf operations for sure. You know, you have less less and less. Uh, you know, we're very fortunate in my family that my sons all are back around home, but that's not the standard across the country anymore, you yeah. know. So, yeah. you know, I think those are some of the things I see just, you know, and I, I do believe that we're coming into a time – where the market is going to reward better quality cattle, but better producers, both in health and, you know, in genetic makeup and that. I think you're going to see a stronger reward in the next 10 years than what we've seen in the past 10 years. Yep. Yep. So the the folks, uh, just like any of us, if you're going to spend money, you want to take the risk out of it. That's right. And, uh, you know, the the cattle buyer, feeder, packer whatever um they're they're gonna want some proof and so you know all, everything we can do to to validate our our genetics our our uh, animal husbandry our vaccination protocols uh, whatever it may be and and uh, you know i think some of the programs that we have going on right now say the feed out program uh, at hrc um both we've done that on the junior side, but uh, we've had quite a few adult participants, uh, you know, send cattle out to HRC there in Scott City to get some data back on their genetics, uh, whether it be their own genetics or it be some of their commercial customers. And it's not like you have to go all the way to Scott City to get that done. No, right. Uh, there's there's plenty of farmer feeders in your area. Um. Uh, or feed lots wherever you're at. And I think, uh, you know, those guys are, are pretty willing to feed cattle and let you retain ownership on them. I mean, they're in the business you of bet. feeding yardage yeah. <laughs> hotel, you know, it's yeah. no different than That's your true. local holiday and express, but, uh, creating that relationship, being able to, uh, understand your genetics and where you need to go. I think it's a pretty important investment that a producer a breeder member can make uh, as we go forward because I just I agree with you. I mean this, this thing is going to tighten down and and um, the things that we're going to have to do to prove our genetics we're going to have to have that proof. Yeah, 
Yeah, as a livestock market operator, I hate retained ownership, okay? So, yeah. Yahoo, you know. <laughs> but it is very, very important. It, I mean, it, they can, you know, and it has been over the years been a little challenge to get data and information back, okay? And and that has changed a little. And if you work with the a feedlot, you can get some data back. You know, it, it's yeah. not like it was 10 years ago where they just shut you off and mm-hmm. you just couldn't get that information back. So I think that's key key to those producers that truly want to move their cattle forward and keep track of what they're doing. And, yep. yeah, I, I do think, uh, you know, you're going to see increased value in these cattle through the markets, but you're also going to see uh, a big, strong increase in value at the packing yep. house. So. And, I mean, you know, kind of to your point as a as a cell barn owner that that retain ownership we have good jokes in the boardroom and conversations about you know but it's going to take all of us and um you know you have a good enough relationship with the feeders that come and buy cattle out of your cell barn and they're either back wanting those calves or they're saying they're giving me a cousin full punt right right you know and so you know you play a pretty important role you know, in this thing going forward, Bill, because, uh, you know, taking that information back to those consigners, you know, at the sell barn level, you know, is a, is a pretty critical step too. And so it, it, it takes all of us, um, and it will, uh, to, to keep this thing moving forward. So, you know, just kind of to wrap up with, um, you touched on this earlier, you know, the bull demand has been pretty good there in Iowa. And, uh, we're, we're seeing that, you know, across the country, you know, throughout, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a lot of parts of the country, not all, but, uh, a good chunk. I mean, the maternal heterosis, I think is setting in the docility feet and legs, you know, the hardiness, longevity of the breed is certainly paying dividends. And so we've got to keep the foot down on all those traits and, and just keep getting better. But you know, you've been in the in the business now almost fifty years with Hereford Cattle, and uh, why do you think you've stayed that long with Hereford Cattle, Bill? And then why do you think your your sons are going to stay even hopefully another fifty years with Hereford Cattle? I mean, what what the is it I about? Stayed, I'm a stubborn son buck, okay, <laughs> <laughs> bullheaded and stubborn. Yep. But but I've I've been through it, uh, you know. To uh, and glad I stayed because of the, you know, the improvement in quality from those first cows we've seen that you know purchased years and years ago, you know, to see that steady improvement in value and and quality. But but seeing that the value that Herefords have added to the commercial business that that's where I my heartbeat is is still in the commercial segment and. and you know, now now people are driving to Hereford cattle. They're driven because of the the value that we add in in just straight up beef production. Okay, we're making these feeder cattle, fat cattle, and making the plate better with Hereford cattle. That wasn't true maybe twenty years, thirty years ago. It is true today, and that's why the demand is stronger. Is we've made the cattle better so that they compete in the marketplace. I don't think we've quite established the superior animal yet 
but we're got the hammer down headed that way and i challenge those other other outfits to keep up with this because i don't i don't think they are i think we're passing them and i think over the next 10 years you're going to see an explosion in this business that we haven't seen since john wayne was raising cows okay i mean this thing is getting really good and i'm i couldn't be more excited about hereford the, the, I still say we need to keep the quality up and, and, and cut as many of them as you can stand to let go of because that will only make make us stronger as we go forward. But the opportunity coming up is is huge for Hereford. And, and you know, the boys boys having more opportunity than dad, and, and that maybe wasn't true, you know, in the history. So I, I like where our position is right now and getting better. Excellent. Well, that's a fantastic way to, to wrap up uh, this episode. Appreciate your uh, time uh, with us. And, uh, you know, you're a busy guy, um, obviously very busy at home and uh, have a lot of irons in the fire and your dedication and involvement input to the you know, board of directors. You wouldn't have signed up for it uh, if you didn't believe in it, one, and the commitment uh, that uh, you've put into it. Uh, you knew it was going to be a, an, an extra strain, but you've 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 really um, surpassed uh, all those uh, expectations of a of a good board member and and done well. And so uh, we're we're excited about the next year. You've got one more year on the board here, Bill, and uh, some good things happening with the breed. So yeah, we we were very fortunate to have a great crew. I mean, our our board is very very on board to move in this breed forward. And I, I couldn't ask for, you know, a better set of people to work with. And, you know, our leadership here in Kansas city is second to none. And, and we are industry leading in that, that area. And I'm just very, very energized and excited about what our future is. And I thank you for the opportunity. Yes, sir. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners again. Uh, uh, tuning into 1881 we've certainly enjoyed uh, uh we're coming up on a about a year of these podcasts and uh we've enjoyed it and uh keep keep sending in information that you'd like to hear about and uh, we'll try to get that aired as soon as we can but uh, with that we're signing off Thanks for tuning in to the American Hereford Association's podcast, 1881, with host Shane Bedwell. For more information, visit Hereford.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.